Let's take our Bibles, go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. I have learned from experience as a preacher that sometimes when we're going through tough times in life, the thing that we want to do is we want to think about it. We want to talk about it. We want answers. And certainly there are times for questions and answers. But my experience is, is that when we're going through a rough time in our life, when we're going through a rough time in our home, when we're going through a rough time in our church, the list could go on and on, our nation, wherever. The best thing that we can do is we can focus on Jesus Christ. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 and verse number 18, that's what we're going to do here this morning, by the way. Verse number 18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. What that means is that people that are not saved when they hear the preaching of the cross, it just seems like nonsense to them. And many of them are very religious people. Do you know there are religious believers in Jesus that don't necessarily understand the preaching of the cross? They understand Jesus. They, they reverence Jesus as God manifest in the flesh, the Son of God. They reverence Him as a good teacher. But Generally speaking, they focus on Jesus as an example of how to be a good and nice person. And they try to follow that. But many of them are not truly saved because they don't really understand the power and the preaching of the cross. Now notice here in verse 19 it says, For it is, excuse me, them that perish, it's foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. It's not just my belief against your belief. It's not who can argue better. It's about the power of God. You know that you can be right in your argument, but that is no guarantee that you have experienced the saving power of God in your life. I'm convinced that churches all across America that preach the gospel of Jesus Christ are filled with people that have never experienced the power of the cross. When you experience the power of the cross, it is a life-changing... I don't mean just change your life a little bit. It revolutionizes your life. For us that are saved, it's the power of God. Verse 19 says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. If you were to read chapter 1 and chapter number 2, in fact, skip over and look at verse number 2, excuse me, chapter number 2, verse number 4, where Paul says, "...and my speech and my preaching 
was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, I want to speak to you this morning on the simplicity of the cross. Let's pray. Father, we ask Your blessings upon the message today. We ask that the Holy Spirit would take the truth of the cross and, Lord, somehow get it into our hearts. May we not just believe it in our minds, but, Lord, may our hearts truly grasp the meaning of the cross and the simplicity of the cross. Help me to speak clearly. Help me, Father, to not say anything in any way that would distract from the message that You want the people to hear today. We ask Your blessings. We pray if anyone here is here today and has never experienced the power of the cross, we pray that this would be that day of days for them when they would be saved and their life would be changed. Please bless, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The simplicity of the cross. You know, it's amazing how many different ways that Satan uses things to corrupt men's minds from the simplicity of the cross of Christ. God made the message of salvation so clear that a little child, five, six, seven years old, can understand it and grasp it. And yet so profound that we can spend the rest of our life and the rest of eternity and never really scratch the surface of all that the cross of Jesus Christ means. Only God could do that. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 3, Paul said, But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. When you think about what God did in the Garden of Eden, the command that He made to Adam and to Eve, He said, of every tree of the garden you can freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou mayest not eat thereof, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. One commandment, uh, one consequence, it was clear, it was simple, And what did Satan do? He came along and he started twisting the truth that God had given and he corrupted their minds. Folks, the simplicity of the gospel is so clear. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scripture. Listen, there are many, many roads to the cross. But I got news for you, and this is absolute news, nothing wishy-washy about it. The only way to get to heaven is through the cross of Jesus Christ. I want to give you four simple words this morning as I talk to you about the simplicity of the cross of Christ. Number one, I want to talk to you about humility. Humility. Uh, That is a concept that is somewhat lost in modern American culture. You know, as Americans, we are extremely proud. We are extremely selfish. We are extremely sensitive. And all the reason is because we think way too much of ourselves. Just uh, uh, last week, 
I, I believe that uh, Kobe Bryant, a great basketball player, was killed in a helicopter crash. If I remember correctly, there were five others that were killed in that crash. One of them was his daughter. I, I guarantee you that probably, maybe, possibly, nobody in this congregation today could tell me the names of the other three. Or the pilot who flew the helicopter. You know why that is? We value entertainment. And we think that somebody, you know, when you think about it, somebody can can jump and slam dunk a basketball through a metal hoop. In the scheme of life and eternity, who cares? How is somebody that can do that, how is their life more valuable than anybody else's? You know what our problem is? Humility. We lack it. We think too much of ourselves. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 8 says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You know what the Scripture is telling us? Is that it's one thing to die, but it's quite another thing to die on the cross. I don't know how I'm going to die. I've told people this for years. I still believe it. I'm really not afraid to die. But the leading up to it is what concerns me. Because I am afraid of pain. I am afraid of suffering. I don't like any of that. I know that when I die, that the moment that my heart stops beating, the moment that my spirit leaves my body according to the Word of God, I'm going to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. That's good news. That's a great promise. But I don't know how I'm going to lead up to that, and neither do you. Uh, you may have you may have a life-threatening disease, but that doesn't mean you're not going to get in a car accident on the way home from church today. None of us know the day or the hour And while we may suspect the means, we don't know that for sure. We don't know what it's going to be like. How many times have I witnessed to people in the hospital and I've asked them about their salvation. I've asked if they're ready to die, if they're ready to meet God. And they look at me and answer with confidence, yes, preacher, I'm saved. I'm ready. And then, several weeks later, that same conversation come up, not at the hospital, but at the hospice house. And that same person that was so confident said, Preacher, let's go over this again. I want to make sure. It's a different scenario thinking about death when we're staring down the gun barrel of death. I'm not afraid to die, but I'm sure a little concerned about leading up to that. Jesus Christ... He was found in fashion as a man. Do you know what that tells us? That tells us that the Creator of this universe humbled Himself and came down to this dump to be one of us. He was king. He, he is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the Lord of glory. And listen, in heaven... The angels are surrounding Him crying, Holy, Holy, Holy. You talk about worship and admiration. All eternity past, Jesus Christ is Lord of glory, but He humbled Himself and came down to become one of us. 
Let me tell you something. if, If you and I were in glory like He was, the thought of just coming down to this place and living a life like you and I have to live, that's just not a very pleasant thought. But Jesus did it out of humility, and He did it out of obedience. Consider what Hebrews 12, verse number 2 says. The Bible says, Looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. Let me call a time out right there. Are you struggling in life? Are you struggling with temptation? Does it seem like sin is getting the best of you? Oh, I could give you all kinds of formulas. I could give you Bible verses to quote. But I tell you, the basic problem that you and I have when sin begins to overwhelm us, we get our eyes off of Jesus Christ. Looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him, watch this, it says, He endured the cross. Endured it. Do you know that He said on the cross that He could have called ten legions of angels to rescue Him? He wasn't a martyr. He wasn't murdered. The Roman soldiers nor the Jewish Sanhedrin had no power over Him if he had not willingly laid down his life and went to the cross of Calvary. He endured. He endured the cross, despising the shame. You know what that says? That says that while Jesus was enduring the cross, everything about it, he despised. You ever despised something before? That means you just, just, you hate it. You hate it. You, you loathe it. You, it. It wearies you. You just, it, it disgusts you. As Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was being despised there on the cross. You know, I find it interesting how that he never defended himself. They would pluck out his beard. They would spit upon him. They would mock him. And you know what he did? Nothing. How would you and I deal with that kind of shame and rejection. I guarantee you, we'd probably be defending ourselves, maybe just reminding them that, you know what, one day, you're gonna, I'm going to put you in hell. If you had that power, and you knew what Jesus knew on the cross of Calvary, if you knew who you were, and you knew what kind of power that you had, and people were mocking you and spinning upon you and doing all the things that they did to Jesus, you and I would have probably at least got a little jab in there just to make them a little bit on their heels. Not our Lord. He despised the shame. It got to him. It affected, it, it bothered him. And he still remained humble and he endured the cross. But now, he, the Bible says, he is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know what he did? He endured it because he knew that one day he would be in his glory. He knew he would raise again the third day. You know the biggest problem with some of the sins in our life? You know, when you think about it, Satan tempted Jesus with three different things. He said, if you'll fall down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. 
Do you know that all the kingdoms of the world ultimately belong to Jesus? But not yet. It wasn't an issue of ownership, it was an issue of timing. And how many of our sins come down to us wanting what we want, but not willing to wait to get it? Boy, there's a lot of things that, you know, we want our pleasure and we want it now, and we skip God's way in gaining it, and then we find that it didn't fulfill to begin with. Do you know that the eye is never satisfied? Do you know that the lust of the flesh can never be appeased? It can never be fulfilled? It'll always, always want just a little bit more. Sometimes we think if I'll just give in to it, it'll quit bothering me. I'm tired of struggling. I'm tired of this battle. And then we find that all we do when we give into it is we make it more powerful. And then we want more and more and more. How about Matthew 20 and verse number 28, where Jesus said, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. Do you know what I see there, folks? I see humility. Jesus did not come so that we could do anything for Him. He came so that He could minister unto us. And He did minister in the 33 and a half years that He was on planet Earth. But you know, thankfully, because He rose again the third day, through the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, through believers, through the church, aren't you glad that Jesus is still ministering to people's needs today? I'm glad that Jesus ministered to my need. As a five-year-old kid, I'm glad that Jesus sent a gospel preacher to make the gospel message so clear that I could even understand it as a child. I thank God for that. He's still ministering. And the cross, the simplicity of the cross, it begins with humility. The second word I want to give you here this morning is the word suffering. We've already talked a little bit about the suffering of Christ. He despised the shame. But let's see just a little bit more what the Bible says about the sufferings of Christ on the cross. In Luke chapter 22, verse 44, now this is not the cross, but you know, that last day of Christ's life, there were a lot of things that led up to the cross. In Luke 22, 44, and being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Leading up to the cross, Jesus was dreading what He knew He was getting ready to face. And He was dreading it so much that inside He was in such an agony that it's as if the blood vessels inside of His skin began to burst at a microscopic level and that sweat coming out of His sweat pores was mixed with blood. That is, I mean, you, you can't, that's a stress that you and I can't even fathom. I mean, it's just amazing. He was dreading it so much. I got an email uh, shortly after my shoulder surgery from the anesthesiologist and wanted me to rate how he did. 
And I was thinking about it. It's like, well, I don't remember anything, so you must have done a good job. But that's all that I remember is that I don't remember anything. So I said, well, you did your job. Now, if he hadn't have done his job, I would imagine that the surgery would be way worse than the dreading the surgery. Wouldn't you agree? But the dreading of it was worse for me than the actual surgery because I don't even remember I was there. Back in 2008, my son broke his arm. First time that he went down a ski slope on a snowboard. He had been wanting to snowboard for, what, years. And he finally got the opportunity to go snowboarding. First time down. And this was, for some reason, the snow, it had gotten warm that day, and the snow had kind of melted, and then it got cold at night. We were up there at nighttime, and so it just kind of made like an icy run. And so... His snowboard hit that and his feet went up and he came down on that icy snow, put his arm back and it broke his arm. I mean, it literally, the bone in his arm was about an inch overlapped. We took him from the ski slope, the mountain on a very painful ride down to Boise, got him into the ER. They x-rayed him and they said, we need to try to set this bone. They said, we're going to do what is, they called it a... Um, a minimal anesthesia where they could literally put him to sleep. Not a full-blown anesthesia, but kind of a short-term anesthesia. I think Mama and Anna were in the waiting room, and so I was right there outside of the room while they put him under, and they were trying to set that bone. They put his his fingers in like these Chinese fingers, and they they're, they're, they've got his arm kind of held down, and so these Chinese fingers, they're trying to pull that. Now, he is out with anesthesia, but I'm not kidding you, folks. I'm at the doorway, and my son, while they're doing that, while they start pulling, his head raises up, and he goes, I began to weep. My son is, I mean, that was an agony. Now, praise the Lord, after he came to He doesn't remember a single thing about it. But you know, that kind of makes me wonder about surgery. Doesn't it you? I mean, maybe it kind of leaves, maybe there is this little mental thing in the back of our mind that we're feeling something. I don't know, but uh, he didn't remember a thing about that, didn't feel a thing, at least as far as his memory. But during it, he must have been feeling an agony. But it hurt me. I wept. There in the hallway, my son was hurting and I couldn't do anything about it. Jesus is leading up to the cross. He knows what's going to happen. He knows. He understands. And because of that stress, he suffered emotionally. Luke chapter 22, verse 63. And the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him. And when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face. Not only could he not strike back, but he wasn't even able to defend himself. They struck him on the face and then they asked him saying, and I guarantee you there was just venomous sarcasm in their voice, prophesy. 
Who is it that smote thee? Many other things blasphemously spake they against him. They are making what he's going through just a total mockery. You talk about bullying. They are bullying the Lord Jesus. Just, just adding insult to injury by their words. How about Matthew 27, verse number 30, it says, and they spit upon him. You ever had somebody spit on you before? I had a neighbor, and um, this uh, neighbor kid, we were in the same grade, and we they, they just moved in not long ago, and we were playing and having a good time, and for some, whatever reason, I don't know if he was having a bad day, I don't know if he was having trouble in his home, but all of a sudden he was just being mean, just mean as can be. And I finally, I was a pretty mild-natured kid, but... I got to where it's like he he crossed that line. And so we got in a fight. I'm in like fourth or fifth grade. And so we got in a fight and I whooped him. It wasn't a very good whooping, okay? Mostly just wrestling around in the yard. And then I pinned him and he, you know, let, let me up. I give, I give. And so I wasn't trying to hurt him. I just wanted to win the fight. And so I let him up. And he spit a big old loogie right there on my chest and ran into his house. Man, I wanted to hurt him then. I mean, it's like, that was disgusting. I cannot imagine how Jesus felt when people are actually spitting upon him. It is a shameful thing. They took a reed and smote him on the head. After that, they had mocked him. They took the robe off him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. Matthew 27, verse 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, it's Chaldaic language, not, it's not Hebrew. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I know I've preached this before. You've heard it before. This is the first time that Jesus, the Son of God, ever refers to His heavenly Father as my God. Always it was Father, Father, Father. At that moment in space and time, He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know, in, in one sense, it was a rhetorical question. Jesus, down deep, knew the reason why. But he was in such an agony, emotionally and spiritually at that moment, that he asked the question, why have you forsaken me? Jesus had never felt that before of being forsaken by God. Do you know that ever since Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, we come into this world experiencing the feeling of being forsaken by God? We don't come into this world with God living inside of us. We come into this world needing God back inside of us. Jesus never knew in His entire existence and all eternity what it was what it was like to be out of fellowship with God. But at that moment, He was. 
He was all alone on the cross of Calvary. And the reason that God had forsaken him is because the Bible teaches that Jesus literally became sin for us on the cross. My sin and your sin, he became that as he hung on Calvary's cross. He endured that. You talk about suffering, a suffering that we cannot even fathom. You know, whatever you go through in this life, if you enter into eternity without Jesus Christ, you will not go to heaven according to the authority of the Word of God. Not mine, but God's. You will go to hell, a place that was prepared for the devil and his angels. Not that God wants you to go to hell. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. God has made every measure possible to ensure that you and I can be saved and not have to go there. But besides the torment of hell, the flames and the fires and the thirst, everything that we read about in Luke chapter 16, the rich man and Lazarus, there's one thing that you and I just cannot fathom, and that is the aloneness and being out from the presence of even feeling like there's a God that exists. No hope in darkness. People said, well, I want to go to hell so I can party with my buddies. There will be no partying in hell. If you think there's going to be partying in hell, then you and your buddies just go home and put all, put two burners, the front burners on your stove on high. Let the, if, if it's a gas stove, let it get good, let the flame get going good. If it's one of those stove eyes, like maybe one of the porcelain ones, wait till it gets a good glowing red hot. And then you and your buddy just jump up on there and have a beer. And tell me how your party is. It's not going to be much of a party. Now take that burn of that stove top and multiply it by about a thousand. Let me tell you something, hell is no joke. It's very, very real. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to use enticing words as Paul said that he was not going to use. I'm simply trying to get us to realize there is a truth in this life that we need to be reminded of because we're not going to be reminded of it out there in this world. Hell is a very, very serious thing and God does not want you and I to go to hell. And that's why Jesus had to bear our sins on Calvary's cross because if He didn't bear them, you're going to have to bear them yourself. I don't know about you. I don't want my sins to take me to hell. I don't want my sins to be unforgiven. I don't want to be alone and without hope in darkness for all of eternity. I'm so thankful that I'm saved and on my way to heaven. Praise the Lord. And so we've seen two words already, humility and suffering. I'd like to just kind of switch gears a little bit. Word number three, I want to talk to you about glory. Glory. We don't talk about glory a whole lot. We think that glory is something that Hollywood stars and athletes are all interested in. But I want to tell you that every single one of us, no matter who you are, no matter what walk in life that you're in or from, 
every single one of us desire some glory. We want people to like us. We want people to accept us. We want people to admire us. We want people to respect us. Now, we don't need all of the above all at the same time, but I guarantee you that we all need at least some of that at some of the time in our life. It's the way that we're wired. It's the way that God created us. Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 14, Paul said, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, I've got nothing to glory. Listen, Paul had a pedigree that would be, I mean, we would be jealous of. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He said concerning the law of God, he was blameless. How would you do in that type of a contest? And I, I could tell you, I could tell you many of the commandments of God that I've broken, the ones that I haven't broken in my body, I've broken in my heart. And so Paul had all, he was a preacher to the Gentiles. He's a man who had had a snake bite him on the arm and he shook it off. It was a poisonous snake and he didn't even swell up. No big deal. He was a man that healed a man that was lame from the birth, who had never walked before. And Paul told him to rise up in the name of Jesus, and he did. Paul was the man that had preached, and thousands and thousands of Gentiles had been saved, uh, as well as Jews. You talk about a great man of God. Paul said, God forbid that I should glory, saving the cross. He had nothing. Listen, folks, we've got nothing to glory in except for Christ and the cross of Calvary. Ephesians 2 verse 16 says that He might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Do you know that the cross will reconcile us to a holy God? I mean, you talk about peace. Look, it says, And He came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through Him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Do you know that through the cross of Jesus Christ, you and I have access to God? We didn't have access before. Do you know that, that the Old Testament Jewish believer had to go through a Levitical priest in order to get his sins forgiven and be able to get to God? Oh, he could pray, no doubt about it, but he didn't have access like you and I have. Our Christian Life Training course, and, and interestingly enough, our Sunday school lesson this morning has had this common denominator, and that has been uh, the powers of darkness, demon possession, and devil influencing believers and unbelievers. And so it's been on my mind a lot. This past uh, week in my uh, Christian Life Training class, I was talking about how that I've had times where I've been praying and talking to God, and I know that the Bible, or excuse me, that the devil is not omniscient. He can't be everywhere at once. I'm not sure whether he can read our thoughts or not. I tend to think that he can't. But I was praying one time, and I thought, I was praying to God about a very private matter. I don't remember what it was. I was probably confessing some sin. And I remember thinking, 
ooh, I don't want the devil to hear this. And so as I'm praying out loud in my in my prayer closet privately, when I get to that point where I'm talking to God about that very private matter, I just start praying silently. Afterward, I got to thinking about that. And I started kind of talking, God, am I right in my thinking? Do I need to worry about that? And God gave me an answer as I was reading my Bible. In the book of Hebrews, the Bible teaches that through the blood of the cross of Christ, I have access to the throne of grace. I thought about that. When I'm praying, as believers, when we're praying, the Bible says we are standing before God and His throne of grace. I don't have to worry about the devil hearing me. Because I may be in my closet, I may be in my bedroom, I may be praying in my car physically. The devil may be around me, but listen, the Bible says that I am standing before God in the throne of grace. I don't always feel that. I don't always sense that. But let me tell you something. If the Bible says it's true, I'm going to believe it. And so I don't even worry about it. I don't think that God wants us to be mindful of the devil when we're talking to him. Amen? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So praise the Lord. We've got some promises. And this glory is that we have been reconciled to God. We've got peace. Can you imagine, you know, everybody talks about world peace. And we talk about it. I've heard about it all my life, but I've never really seen it. Have you? I mean, as soon as we, as soon as we pull out of one country, we end up fighting with somebody else. It's just this vicious cycle. There's always going to be problems. But can you imagine being at enmity with our Creator and then through the cross of Christ knowing that, hey, there's peace between me and God. He knows everything that I've done, but I don't have to worry about it because we're at peace. Not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus did on the cross. Colossians 1 verse 20 and having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself, by Him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Thank God there is glory in the cross of Christ in that what Jesus endured, the suffering and the humility, He did it so that He could bring many sons into glory. If you're trying to seek glory in this life, then you're wasting your time. It's going to be very, very short-lived glory. You know, today I believe today's Super Bowl Sunday, right? Uh, the Chiefs against the 49ers. I listen. I'm a sports fan, so you're not looking at a preacher that doesn't, you know, pay any attention to it at all. I'm being honest with you. I cannot remember who played in the Super Bowl last year. I'm sure that if you told me, I'll go, oh yeah, 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 I watched it. You know what? I, I couldn't tell you. If you tested me, if my life depended on it, I would say, you gotta give me a five or ten minutes here to, to try to re recall this. I don't even remember. And yet in American culture, like, this is like the highlight of the entertainment weekend, right? By the way, if you stay home to watch the Super Bowl instead of coming to the house of God tonight, you're wicked. 
Thank you. Yeah, you know, seriously, what a shame. I mean, for a believer in Christ to say, I'd rather watch the Super Bowl than to hear the preaching of God's holy word. Isn't that pitiful, folks? You say, well, why don't we just bring the Super Bowl to the house of God? Because we're smarter than that. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Let me move right on along. Number four, and I'll go quick here. The fourth word is the word division. Do you know that the cross, you talk about the simplicity of the cross. The cross, just just the the, the symbol, the, the picture of it, Don't you see a crossroads there? Don't you see a dividing? There's something about the cross that everything about it is dividing. You know that it divided two thieves? There were three crosses there and one thief ended up going to hell and the other ended up in paradise with the Lord. It divided the veil of the temple. The Bible says when Jesus hung on that cross, the veil of the temple was miraculously, with invisible hands, it was torn from the top to the bottom. And it divided that veil to give, to to show, to demonstrate to Israel that the way to God was now through the cross of Christ, not through the Levitical sacrifice. Do you know that the cross of Christ divides families and friends? Jesus said, I came not to bring peace to this earth, but a sword. He said, I came to put a man at variance against his family. And I'm I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but if you get the cross of Christ in your life, it's not going to make everybody like you. It's probably going to make some people that used to like you despise you. And I wonder how many people... How many people end up in hell just because they're worried about what a few people will think of them? Man, how'd you like to live with that foolish regret for all of eternity? I wonder how many people have not walked down the aisle, not gotten saved when the gospel was preached because they were worried about what people would think of them. And two months later, the people they were worried about don't even like them anymore. They don't, they, they gotten a spat and they're not even friends anymore. And then that, that opportunity for salvation when the Holy Spirit's speaking, it doesn't come back. Wow, what a shame. Don't live with all eternity regretting, why didn't I respond? Why did I worry about what anybody thought of me? Philippians chapter 3, verse number 18. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. You say, who's Paul talking about? Surely he's talking about some murderer. Surely he's talking about some child molester. Surely he's talking about some mean, evil person. Maybe he's talking about Donald Trump. After all, isn't he to blame for everything? Somebody told me that, this is a joke, but they said that Donald Trump crossed the Potomac and he he, he walked on the water went across the river and he went into a hospital and he healed everybody in the hospital. And so the, the next day, the news media said that, oh, he's just trying to get attention and 
Think of all the doctors he put out of jobs. Uh, can't win. Hey, who is Paul talking about? He's weeping. People that are enemies of the cross of Christ. You know who he's talking about? He's talking about believers who live worldly carnal lives. That's some sobering thoughts, folks. The cross is a divider. If you are truly saved and born again, let me tell you something, it's going to divide you from that old life out there. You're at least going to have some point in your life where you can say, that's my old life and this is my new life. I don't do that anymore. I don't go there anymore. That was the old me, but now I'm saved. Now I'm a child of God. I'm on my way to heaven and now I'm serving Jesus Christ. It's a dividing, folks. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me. The cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. I sang that song as a kid almost my whole life in church. But let me tell you something. When I got right with God 34 years ago, the first time that I sang this song, it wasn't the same. I sang it with tears running down my cheeks because now this song meant something to my heart. And if you have ever been saved, if you have ever repented of a backslidden condition and gotten right with God, you'll find that that song will put tears in your eyes. It'll mean something in your heart because you can look at how the cross of Jesus Christ had a dividing effect in your life. In conclusion, in conclusion, We need to know, you need to know, that your life and eternity will be based on what you do with the cross. Oh, you can believe in Jesus, but until you put your faith and trust in the cross of Calvary, you're just believing in a character. It's not enough to just believe that Jesus existed. Or that he was a good man and a good example. We have to understand that what Jesus did on the cross was for our sins and it's necessary. I'm amazed at how people in today's culture make such a light thing of sin. I mean, no big deal. Oh, we know that it's sin. 
we know that it's breaking the commandments, but there's just kind of like this, oh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm a sinner, but nobody's perfect, right? You know what you ought to do? You ought to just, in your heart and in your mind, you ought to just visualize that you're at the foot of the cross of Calvary and look up and see your Savior and see what they've done to His body. Look at His eyes and see the pain and the grief that He is enduring for you and I and for our sins. If you can take your sin lightly, and still visualize Jesus Christ and the cross of Calvary, I don't know what to say to you. I don't know how to give you any hope. Something is drastically wrong with your soul if you can look at the cross and still take sin as a light thing. What we do with the cross will determine what our life will be like here on this life, but most importantly, in all of eternity. Humility, suffering, glory, and division. That is the simple message of the cross. If you're not saved, you need to get saved. You need to get born again and get your life changed before you leave this place today. Because I guarantee you, whether you realize it or not, the devil doesn't play for fun. He plays for keeps. And He wants to destroy your life. Get saved. Come to the cross. Repent of your sins. Christian, if you're saved, you're not living right, get right with God. Do not let the devil destroy your life. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the Word of God. Thank You for the cross of Calvary. Thank You for the presence of the Holy Spirit in our midst today. We ask You now to have Your will and way in the invitation time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.